At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again, and have a blessed day. Good morning. My name is Kurt McDonald. It is my great privilege this morning to bring to you God's holy, uh, inspired, and inerrant word. Uh, One of the greatest privileges uh, in in my whole life um, was being raised in in a Christian home. Um, we, we went to church, uh, we read the Bible, um, my, my family uh, not only took us to church and read the Bible, but actually lived out those uh, implications with us and, and in front of us. We, we had a home that, that honored uh, God, and as any child raised in any particular belief system or uh, in any type of environment, at some point you begin to question the validity of what you've been told. You, you begin to question, uh, is this really true or, or is this really right? And so at, at, a, at a young age, I began my quest to discover if this, this faith that had been imparted to me was really mine. Um, and so if you were raised in a Christian home, you, you probably had a similar experience where you had this faith that was imparted to you. And at some point, you, you had to decide whether that faith was yours or if it was just the faith of your parents. Uh, and so I began to ask um, my youth pastors uh, very uh, questions that made them very uncomfortable. Um, how do we know Jesus is God? Right? Well, because the Bible says so. Okay, well, how do we know the Bible's true? Because the Bible says that it's true. Okay, well, isn't that a self-defeating argument? Go away, kid, you bother me. You know, so it was one of those situations to where I was the annoying kid in the youth group that was asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, uh, until I came upon uh, the the study or the field of apologetics. Now, um, if you've never heard that word before, it doesn't mean the study of apologizing to people. The the study of apologetics comes from a a Greek word, uh, apologia, probably mispronounced that, doesn't matter, you guys don't know Greek anyway. Um, But what that word means is to make a defense. And so the the study of apologetics is the study of uh, defending your faith. And and once I discovered that, it was, I mean, it opened up this this brilliant world to me. And I I loved reading Christian philosophy. I loved reading Christian science and learning all of these arguments. And and, and there were a few books that that I came across. uh, Who's ever heard of The Case for Christ by Lee Stroh? Okay. Uh, So I read The Case for Christ. And then um, there was another one called uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And so I read that one. And uh, on the back cover and in all the footnotes of those books, they were talking about all these other guys. And so I went and found their books. And and so I I began to read this book, The Reason for the Hope Within, which is a series of articles. And then I found this one, Scaling the Secular City by, by J.P. Moreland. It's a fantastic book. Jesus Under Fire. I read this one, which is a, uh, all about the, the historicity of, of Jesus. And, and this one also is all about the historicity of Jesus. And then this one, um, Love Your God with All of Your Mind, also by J.P. Moreland. And I found William, Dr. William Lane Craig. And I, and I began to read everything by Dr. William Lane Craig, who's a brilliant apologist. And, and it, it just it opened opened up this beautiful world to me because what happened in my life is I drew this line from from faith to reason. Uh, And that was really, really important to me. And and I just, I love reading. As as a matter of fact, in high school, I actually began to teach apologetics classes. I mean, can you imagine a bunch of high schoolers sitting around talking philosophy? Well, that's that's exactly what we did. And and all throughout my college age years, I was still teaching uh, off and on apologetics classes. And and even today, I still uh, subscribe to Dr. William Lane Craig's podcast called The Defender's Podcast. And and so today, this verse, I mean, this, this verse gives gets me pumped up. If you, if you haven't picked that up, if you, if you haven't picked up on this yet, just look at 
Um, at, at verse 15 in our text today, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, being prepared to make a defense, make a defense to anyone. And so um, not only did, did I love reading all that stuff, here's a, here's a, a little fact about me, a little tidbit you can, you can ask my wife. I also love to debate. <laughs> and, and, and so maybe, maybe don't ask her. It's a sore subject. Um, my, my mom told me that I either needed to be a preacher or a lawyer. Um, because not only did I love learning apologetics, but I also loved the, the mental sparring of thinking about um, giving a defense for your faith and then reasoning through, okay, here would be an objection, and then how do I respond to that objection? Uh, that was something that really excited me. And so I feel like, I mean, the, chapter 3, verse 15, that's, that's my verse. I, I mean, I held on to that. Be ready to make a defense. And so not only did, was I studying all that, but also studying uh, Mormonism and, and Jehovah's Witness and Islam and Judaism and, and discovering the, the different beliefs and how to defend the Christian faith against all of those things. And so if you're here this morning and you're like me, this verse is for you. If you love reading Christian philosophy, if you love reading science, this verse is for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at this point, I'm anticipating that there's some people in the room who, <laughs> who don't enjoy a leisurely Saturday afternoon reading philosophy. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a step out on, on the limb here and say that most people are not going to read any of those books that I brought this morning. Uh, you, you're going to get through the first chapter and you're going to be dead asleep. And so what does then this verse have to say to you this morning if it's urging you and calling you to be ready to make a defense? You have to defend your faith. What, what does this verse then have to say to you, well, the good news is this verse is not just for weirdos like me who enjoy reading uh, science and philosophy and church history. And th this verse is for all Christians everywhere. This is calling out to all Christians to be ready to make a defense because what, what is it calling us to? Again, just look at verse 15 again. We haven't even started uh, exegeting the text yet, but we're already there. Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord always being prepared to make a defense. Okay, what is it asking you to defend? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Is it asking you to defend the existence of God? Um, is it asking you to, to uh, be able to defend the minor points of the Kalam cosmological argument proving the existence of God? No, it's not. Um, is it asking you to be able to defend the reliability of the scriptures? That's not what it's asking you to defend. Though for many, many years, that's exactly how I interpreted this verse. That's not what it's asking you to defend. What this is asking you to defend is the reason you're a Christian. Why do you hope in Jesus? That is, that is what this question is asking you. You are called to defend the reason why you are a Christian. Why is there hope in you? That's the question that every Christian needs to be able to answer. And so my prayer for you all week long, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you, church family. And my prayer has been, I want everybody to leave here this morning knowing why they're a Christian, why they have hope in their heart. Again, it's not about being able to understand apologetics. Although, listen, I'm not telling you not to go read these books. I'm not telling you not to study apologetics. You probably should. I know you probably won't, but you probably should. But that's not what this verse is calling us to. It's, it's calling us to know why we believe in Christ, to know why there is hope within us. And every Christian everywhere can do that. that that is my first note right here. If you're taking notes, every Christian everywhere from 8 to 80 can give a reason for the hope they have in Christ. Every Christian everywhere can do that. On the spot, in the moment, right then, somebody asks you, why are you a Christian? Why are you different? Why are you, why are you acting this way? Boom. That you, you give the reason for the hope you have. You give that answer. You give that answer right then and there. You don't need a PhD in philosophy. You don't need to study, uh, know all the ins and outs of Darwinian evolution to be able to defend a, a creationist position. You just need to give the reason for the hope that's in you. Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in Jesus? That's what our text is calling us to. Now, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, per our usual style as we've been traveling through the book of 1 Peter, is we're going to fly over the text, uh, meaning we're going to um, kind of look at the, the 
departs from an aerial view, and then we're going to land back down on the ground and kind of crawl through the text bit by bit. Can we do that this morning? All right. All right, let's do that. Let's fly over the text and take a look at uh, these different uh, pieces. So what Peter is going to uh, begin with here uh, is a rhetorical question. So go ahead and take a look at uh, verse 13. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? But that's a, that's a rhetorical question. He's, he's asking a question and assuming that the reader knows the answer, right? That's, that's what a rhetorical question is. You, you ask a question assuming the reader um, knows, knows the question. So that, that's where he begins. But then he gives us this series of commands. He's, he's saying, do this, do this, don't do this. It's, it's a series of essentially four commands that he's, he's working through. So he opens with this rhetorical question. Then he says, do not fear, <clears throat> do not be troubled. In your hearts, honor Christ, being prepared to make a defense. Th- those are the, these four things that he's telling us to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have no fear of them or do not fear man, do not fear people, do not be troubled by them. But in, instead, so, so don't do those things, instead do this. In, instead of fearing people, instead of being troubled by when, when people slander you and attack you, instead of doing that, do this instead. He wants you to, in your hearts, honor Christ. He also wants you to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who, who asks you. Um, he follows up then with how to do that. Uh, There's a particular heart that Peter wants you to have as you make a defense. There's a particular attitude that Peter is concerned that you have as you defend your faith or as you you give a reason for the hope. And and it's it's that you do it gently and respectfully and having a good conscience, right? That's the particular way he wants you to defend your faith. Because when you defend your faith that way, gently, respectfully, when you defend your faith that way, here's, here's what happens. Um, so that the people who slander your good behavior in Christ, they, they are put to shame. That's the result of you defending your faith in a way that is respectful. The person who's attacking you, they're put to shame. And, and I think that he's put verses 13 through 16 all together in this way, communicating this idea to really get to the, this main point that he, he's trying to make this, this, this foundational statement is, is what he's what he's wanting to do, but he had to do all of that work 13 through 16 so that he can, he can get down to the very bottom of it and say this very concise statement, which is, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. He's encouraging them on to good works, even though it may cause them to suffer. The, the good works of honoring Christ in their heart, the good works of being prepared to make a defense, the good works of not fearing man. Right? And, and he wants them to know suffering is going to come because of that, but keep on going because it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Right? That's the text. You guys got it? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's dive into to verse 13. Here's what it says. Now, <clears throat> who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Again, he begins with this rhetorical question. And so um, the, the answer that's on the... On the top, the answer that should come to our minds is no one. Isn't that what he's wanting us to see? Isn't that what he's, who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? No one. No one is going to harm you if you were zealous for doing good. Well, (laughs) what makes this a little bit confusing is look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, no one's going to harm you. But if they do harm you. (laughs) What? Is that confusing to anyone else? So, so the easy answer for the rhetorical question is now a bit blurred because we see that there will, there will be suffering here. So as a matter of fact, lots of people will harm you if you do good, won't they? I mean, if you just seek other people's good and, and, and you're just trying to always bless other people, putting other people first, what's going to happen? Well, somebody's going to figure that out, and they're going to take advantage of you. So, okay, so then now, what's the answer to the rhetorical question? Well, when, when you find yourselves in, in this type of situation in the Bible, it's all about context. Context, context, context. 
Where are you at? So um, here's a little secret. Here's a little hint. I'm, I'm pulling the, the curtain back a little bit just to let you see this. What I'm doing with these flyovers, um, with what we just did, and what I'm doing with asking questions about the text is I'm trying to help you understand how to read your Bibles. So we're asking these questions about the text. When you come to this, now who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? It seems like no one is going to harm me for doing good, but we know Christians have been killed all over the globe for their faith. So what is, what is the answer? Well, look back at verse 12. Look back at verse 12 because we're, we're working in the context of, of what's here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Meaning what? Meaning that God is looking after his children. It's not just that he's uh, cognitively aware that we exist, but that his eyes are on us, meaning God is watching after us, meaning God is, is hearing our, our prayers, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what we must understand is the obvious answer is correct. Who is there to harm you for doing good? No one. Why? Because they can't ultimately harm you. Make sense? They can't, why can't they ultimately harm you? Because God's looking after you. Uh, because when that person comes against you in evil, what's God going to do with that? Well, he's going to turn around and, and work it out for your good. When that person slanders you, when you get fired from your job for being a Christian, uh, when, when somebody mocks you and makes fun of you because you believe uh, that 2,000 years ago a first century Galilean peasant got up out of the grave, when, when you, and, and people laugh at that, God's going to take that evil that's coming against you and he's going to flip around and work it for your good because his eyes are on you, meaning he's looking after you, he's hearing your prayer, and his face is set against those who are evil. So no one can ultimately do you harm. When, when we are out giving a defense for the hope that is, <clears throat> that is within. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. That is, that is the, the fear of man, the fear, the fear of people um, who, are, who are coming against you for your faith. Again, saying that uh, we, we read out of this old ancient book that with full, filled with silly ideas and um, have no fear of them, nor be troubled by them. Again, Peter here is writing to this persecuted church. The, you've, got to, you've got to understand the full weight of what Peter just said. He just told a, a persecuted church not to be afraid of people who can literally kill them of people who can have them arrested, of people who can have them thrown to the lions, um, people who can lose their jobs because they don't believe in the gods, they believe in one God. He said, don't be, don't be scared of them, the people who can break into your house in the middle of the night and, and drag you off to jail. Don't be afraid of them. I mean, this, this is astonishing what Peter is calling this church to do. As a matter of fact, church history records many of, uh, of these type of scenarios, these type of encounters where people were martyred for their faith, yet they stood fearlessly. Um, there, there was one man named Polycarp, a very interesting name, but that's his name. A man by the name of Polycarp. Church history records his death. He, he died in 155 AD. If you're putting that into context, that's, uh, he was born just a little while after this very letter was written. Um, he, he was actually personally discipled by John. Polycarp died in 155 AD. He was a well-known pastor in the church in the relatively new movement known as Christianity. Polycarp was arrested by the Roman government for being Christian. He was then taken to a stadium in front of a crowd of people. And here is the dialogue. So because Polycarp was um, kind of a, a popular pastor, um, he had historians that were kind of dialoguing, writing down his life. And, and his death is actually recorded for us in church history. And, and here is the dialogue that happened <clears throat> as Polycarp stood in the stadium um, in, in front of all these people. The proconsul urged Polycarp saying, have respect for your old age and swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, down with the atheists. Uh, remember, uh, Christians were called atheists because they didn't believe in the gods. They believed in one God. So the proconsul says to him, uh, say, down with the atheist, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp replied, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? 
The proconsul said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. The proconsul said, if you despise the animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment of the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Polycarp was subsequently burned to death. But you want to talk about not fearing them. That is a testimony to a man who hoped so deeply in God, who hoped so deeply in Christ. He was not afraid to be thrown to the animals, to be burned alive, which he was. Here's what I want you to see. I wanted to share that with you because his fearlessness showed them what he hoped in. So, so, so I'm, 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 I'm priming the pump a little bit. I'm setting us up for be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you. I, I want to show you this, that, that his fearlessness showed them what he hoped in. Did Polycarp hope in comfort? No. <laughs> Being burned alive is not very comfortable. Um, did, did he hope in what other people thought of him, what the crowd thought of him, what the stadium thought of him? No, he didn't hope in that at all. He hoped in God. His hope was firmly secure in the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's exactly where it was. So he wasn't scared at all. He just, I mean, that, I mean, this is, this is insane. So, so this is how you show people where your hope is as well. So your co your coworker says to you, if we don't lie on this report, we could lose our jobs. You say, then I guess I'll lose my job. Now, what did you then just show your coworker? that your hope is not in your job. Your hope is not in money. Your hope is not in what the boss thinks of you. Your hope is not in your personal success. Your hope is in obeying Jesus. Um, so uh, they say, aren't you scared of what people will think of you? No, I'm not. I'm more concerned about what God thinks of me. Someone might say, aren't you afraid that you're going to be missing out on what life has to offer? No. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not afraid of missing out on what life has to offer. You're showing people where your hope is by living fearlessly. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that. I'm, I'm secure in God. I can, I can walk in this, this way of fearlessness. So when people see fearlessness then, what happens is they begin to ask questions. Why, why aren't you afraid of that? That's that, that's, what, that's what's happening here. So verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What, what this means is we don't fear what the world fears, not being accepted, not being liked, not having enough success, not having enough money, not having enough power. We don't fear those things, nor do we honor what the world honors. Um, meaning we, we don't honor individuality um, above all things. We don't, we don't honor um, all sexual preferences. We, we, don't honor, we don't honor what the world honors. We, we honor differently. We live fearlessly. If you're, if you're taking notes, we, we show a lost and dying world. Our hope is in Christ when we live fearless lives, not honoring what they honor. This is what Peter is, is getting after here in, in the text. Okay, verse, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ. Honor Christ. Don't fear what they fear. Don't honor what they honor. Right? That, those, those were the, the don't do that. Don't fear what they fear. Don't honor what they honor. Instead, do this. Do what? Honor Christ in your heart. Honor Christ in, in your heart. What, is, what does that mean? Well, if we're honoring Christ in our heart as holy, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy, what, what does that mean? Well, holiness means uh, to, to be set apart. This means that we set apart Christ in our hearts, meaning um, we put him in a place that is reserved only for him. Uh, he is set on the throne of our hearts, and, and no one can move him. Uh, practically, here's what this means. It means that 
everything that I have and all that I am is for Christ. Everything that I have and all that I am is for Christ. My marriage is for Christ. I'm raising my children to love Jesus. My money is is to serve my family that's loving Jesus and to serve my church, which is preaching Jesus. My job is I'm there to build relationships with coworkers so I can tell them about Jesus. I mean, it's everything in my entire life. That's how you honor Christ as holy in your heart. You make your whole life for Jesus, about Jesus. It's all about Jesus is what Peter is saying. Don't fear what they fear. Don't honor what they honor. Instead, make your whole life about the glory of Christ. And at that point, now he's getting into the meat of the text. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared. So so now we're getting into this other command, always being prepared this idea of preparedness, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. What exactly does that mean? I have three ideas that I want to share with you this morning. First idea is this. Giving a defense for the hope you have is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. What did he just tell us to do, right? Again, it's all about context. He just told us to to honor Christ as Lord, as holy in our hearts. So giving a defense of your faith or giving a defense of the hope that you have is firstly a matter of the heart. It starts with a deep, deep love for Jesus. Here's the truth. Look, look, look. Lost people can spot a phony from a mile away. If, if you show up talking about Jesus and you don't have a deep love for Jesus, they, I mean, they will call you out in an instant. First off, ain't nobody going to ask you about the hope that you have because you're not actually living a life that shows that Jesus is the most valuable thing, which is the exact context of this. This is, this is saying when somebody comes and asks you, be ready to make a defense. But if you don't start with the deep love for Jesus, nobody's going to ask you about your faith. Because you're not going to be living your, your faith out. The, the idea here is that this, this should flow out of us. This, this defense should flow out of us. It, it should be so easy for us to, I know exactly why I hope in Christ. I mean, I, I, can, tell you, I can tell you right now. Um, so, so for some of y'all, I, I could say, all right, tell me the reason the, the dogs are the greatest football team ever. Oh, oh, you know, I mean, and, and you can, I mean, you can start rattling. Off. I'll, I'll, I got 10 reasons. Just have a seat, Sonny. Let me give you 10 reasons why the dogs are the, um, why is, is fishing or golfing the greatest hobby there is? I mean, you can just start rattling off reason after reason after reason why you hope in that or why that is the greatest thing that there is. Why? Because you have a deep love for it. In the same way, church family, because of our deep love for Christ, when somebody asks us why we hope in him, it should, I mean, it naturally should flow. Here it is. I hope hope in Christ because of this. This is why I hope in Christ. And we're quick on that answer. So giving a defense for the hope that you have is a matter of the heart. Secondly, giving a defense of the hope that you have is done in the context of a relationship. Giving a defense of the hope that you have is done in the context of relationship. Again, look at, look, look at the text. Always be prepared to make a defense to who? To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. Now, hope is invisible. You can't actually see hope. You know, somebody walks in the room like, oh, look at that guy's hope. You know, like you you can't see hope (coughs) immediately. But over time, as you build a relationship, as you get to know someone, as, as you Um, work on projects together, as you share meals together, slowly but surely what happens is you discover what that person hopes in. And then they ask you. It's all done in the context of relationship. Again, um, so yes, we need to have the courage to share the gospel even when we're not asked. We need to have that courage. But what's happening here in this text, it's speaking directly about people who live in such a strange way. 
I mean, the, Christians should live in such a strange way. Here in the immediate context is doing good in the face of evil, being fearless, honoring Jesus. This text is talking about Christians who live in such a strange way that it makes people go, what's up with you? Why do you do that? Why do you say that? Why do you act that way? I don't understand. Why wouldn't you just do this? Why wouldn't you just say that? It makes them ask questions because we're a pack of weirdos, right? Living fearlessly, uh, giving our lives away to other people, uh, giving our time and our money and our energy away for the other person, right? That's weird. That's weird. And so it makes people go, what's What's up with you? So, so giving a defense uh, is for giving a defense for the hope is a matter of the heart. In addition, it's done in the context of relationships. Lastly, giving a defense uh, of the hope that you have means something to you personally. It means something to you personally. Look at the verse. The verse says, "Giving a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you." That is in you. So it's directly connected to um, the spirit of Christ which dwells in you, but it's also a reason that is personal to you. So, so when somebody asks you, why are you different? Why are you weird? You don't go, uh, well, Pastor Kirk said, or I read in a book somewhere, or hang on, I've got it written down. Just give me a minute. I'll, I'll find it. No, it's, it's a reason that is absolutely um, personal to you. So this is something that every Christian can do. So what I've said is the application of this verse is not necessarily go study philosophy and science, go study Judaism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, so that you can obey this. That, that's not necessarily the direct application. The direct application is for you to be able to say why you hope in Jesus. Now, again, I've already given mine. Me personally, if somebody said, why are you a Christian? Why do you hope in Jesus? My answer is evidence. That's my answer. That's the answer that is personal to me. I had this faith. I connected faith and reason. It makes the most sense to follow Jesus. I believe in the historical Jesus Christ because of the evidence that's there. Evidentially speaking, there is historical and contextual evidence that shows that this guy really did get up out of the grave. And so I believe in his resurrection. And if he resurrected, I'm going to believe the rest of what he said. And he said that I'm a sinner. So I decided that I should believe on him and give my whole life to him. And so evidence. That's, that's why I hope in Christ. But that's my answer. That's, that's my answer. And so, so let me ask you this morning, again, point blank, why are you hoping in Christ? Why do you, why do you hope in Christ? Give me a reason. So uh, I, I just jotted down some examples, okay, because I want us to be thinking together. Again, my prayer for you all week long is that you know why you hope in Christ. You might say this. I had a personal experience with Jesus. His presence is so powerful in my life, and I see him working every day, and that's why I hope in him. That, that's a fantastic reason to hope in Jesus. Here's another one. I was reading the Bible, and something inside of my heart just changed. I don't know how to explain it. I think that's when God saved me. That's why I hope in him, because of the miracle that, that he did through me just reading scripture. That's a, that's, a great, that's a great way to, to give a reason, to give a defense for the hope that you have. Here's another one. I came to a point in my life where I realized my sin. I, I felt really guilty, and, and I know that I needed to be saved, and Jesus was offering that to me. And so because of, because of how guilty I felt, I just gave it all to him, and, and he washed me clean of it. That's a great way to defend your faith. Here's another one. I hit rock bottom. And I had nowhere to go. And so I ran into the arms of Jesus and he set me free. That's, that's why I hope in him. That's why I hope in him. You might say, why, why do you hope in Christ? Well, because he died for me, therefore I hope in him. Just something as, as simple as that. You could give all those reasons. We, we should have a laundry list of reasons why we're hoping in Christ. So let me, let me summarize um, this section here, 13 through 15, I've, I've summarized it this way in this amazing run-on sentence. 
we honor Christ with our whole life. And because of that, we have hope. When we hope in Christ, we are fearless. When we are fearless, people ask questions about our hope, and the answer comes to us naturally. Right? Does that make sense? We hope in Christ. Because we hope in Christ, we're able to live fearlessly. We live this fearless life, not fearing what the world fears, not honoring what the world honors. People look at that, and they're freaked out by it. They ask us the question, why are you hoping in Christ? Why are you a Christian? Why do you live this way? And because it, it's, it's so personal to us, because we're so in love with Christ, the answer just flows out. The answer just flows out. Now, he goes on to tell us exactly how that answer should flow out. He's going to tell us how we should defend our faith. He's going to give us this, this example of how, how our hearts should be postured. He says, at the very end, yet do this with gentleness and respect. I'm at the end of 15. Do this with gentleness and respect. Moving on into verse 16, having a good conscience. So those three things, gentleness, respect, having a good conscience. What what does that mean? Well, it means this. As we're giving a defense, as we're explaining to someone why we're a Christian, as we're sharing our faith with someone, it means that we watch our tone. Um, It means that we don't insinuate that they are dumb for not having already understood this. I mean, are you kidding me? Of course Jesus is alive. Everybody believes that. You don't believe that? Well, <laughs> so we, we don't insinuate that they're dumb because they haven't arrived at this same conclusion because we're so brilliant. A- absolutely not. We do it with gentleness and respect. It means that we don't act irritated when they ask questions. So when they say, you believe the Bible's true. Yes, I believe the Bible's true. Like all of it? Yes. I mean, what about all the weird stuff? Yep, believe all of it's true. Like, seriously, you believe that we just continue to be gentle? We continue to honor that person and show them, yes, I, I absolutely believe that, I mean, the Red Sea parted. I mean, it was there. God did it. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I believe it, right? We show them gentleness and respect, and we don't act irritated with their questions. Jot this down. The person who gives a defense yet does not show gentleness and respect is very dangerous. Very dangerous. I I will make a confession, church family. I have not always done this well. I read all those books. I got armed to the teeth with all of the rebuttals, and I was ready. I mean, I was loaded to the hilt, just, just ready. And somebody would ask a question, boom, I mean, I would just knock it out of the park. They would give a a, a rebuttal, and I knew the rebuttal. I mean, I knew what their rebuttal was going to be before they even knew what it was. And I I was so fast, and just bam, bam, bam. And and I, I wasn't being gentle and respectful. Here are a couple of ideas on practically how we can do this. First, when you're sharing your faith, Feel free to say, I don't know. And that's, that's, that's so gentle and respectful just to, just to be honest. Nobody wants to talk to a know-it-all. It, it's totally fine if, if they say, seriously, you, you believe in the Bible, but like, how can all that stuff be true? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know all the answers. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus is working in my life. I know that when I pray, he hears me. I know that, that I see it. Uh, when I obey Jesus and I live the way that he's called me to live, my life just goes better. I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't have all the answers. I'm just telling you that's what I know. I don't know. That's, that's a way to be gentle and respectful and have a good conscience. Secondly, when sharing your faith, contextualize. Contextualize. What do I mean? Well, I mean, don't use words that even you don't understand when, when you're trying to share your faith. So don't say, well, I believe uh, my hope is in God because of the nature of the Trinitarian Godhead and its ecclesiological and eschatological effect on all aspects of my life. You know, like contextual, put, put it in context of, of what this person can understand about your faith, right? What, as I'm talking with this person, what can this person understand about my faith? 
who are they and how did they live their life? That's how I want to contextualize when, when I'm trying to give a defense for the hope that's within me. I want to, context, I want to understand where this person's at, where that person um, is, is coming from. Because we live in an area, here's, here's kind of a, a little bit, we live in an area where many people would consider themselves Christians but are not Christians at all. And so, so you have to put that into context when, when you're sharing your faith and, and when you're talking uh, through things like that. Thirdly, when sharing your faith, respond to them knowing that you likely don't know their whole story. So I was talking with a guy, uh, you're a Christian, yep, you go, to, you go to church and stuff, like, yeah, I'm kind of there every Sunday, and um, he's like, you know, I mean, I don't go to church, the church is full of hypocrites. And so I kind of began to defend this idea of, yes, and you're probably a hypocrite too, and you're welcome to come, because like, you know, we're, we're all hypocrites at some point. As I began to talk with him, you know what I found out? Somebody in the church had personally hurt him. And so the, his surface level defense of, oh, church is just full of hypocrites, you know what was really up underneath that? Somebody had personally wounded him in the church, and therefore he, he was not into Christianity. I was talking with another woman, and, and she said, I could never believe in a God who just forgives people when they ask. As, as I began to defend the faith and kind of go down that trail, you know what had happened? Her brother was murdered. And because of that, she thought about this man who had murdered her brother and thought, if God forgave him, if he just asked, I don't want to believe in that kind of God. So as you're sharing your faith with people, don't assume you know their whole story. Go slow, ask questions, and defend your faith in a respectful and gentle way. Well, now our time is mostly gone, and we have two more verses to go, so uh, let, let's hurry to get to them. Having a good conscience so that whenever you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, so by being gentle and respectful and having a good conscience as you defend your faith, what happens is as they slander you, are you serious? You believe in that old book? I mean, that's, that's an old dead religion. I mean, Christianity is dying out anyway. As they slander you and you just, you're continually gentle, you just keep being respectful, they, they, they call you closed-minded, they tell you you're a bigot, they, they, I can't believe, you know, you believe that, uh, you know, marriage is only for a man and woman, that's so closed-minded, I, I can't believe you don't believe that, that a woman should have the right to terminate a pregnancy, that's, that's so hypocritical, that's so closed-minded, as they slander you, you continue to be gentle and respectful, you don't bite back, you don't insult them, what happens is, this verse just said, they are put to shame. They're put to shame. What does that mean? Well, what Peter is, in, is envisioning is, they walk away from that conversation and they think, why didn't that person insult me back? Why didn't they attack me? Why? Maybe there's something to what they were saying. And then they begin to feel Shame. Now, you, you might think, "Why well, don't I don't want I don't want to make anybody feel shame?" Well, you have to understand that sometimes feeling shame is right. There are things that we should feel shameful for. It's a it's a natural human response that that God has placed into our hearts to show us what we should and should not do. Um, the other day. Uh, my youngest, little Tally. You won't believe this about her, but, but this is a true story. She was being sassy with her mother. And I got right down in her little tiny face. Our noses are about that far apart. And I said, don't you ever talk to your mother that way again. Do you understand me? She said, yes, sir, daddy, with big alligator tears coming down. And then she went around the chair and she hid. She hid. Why did she hide? because she felt shame, which was a good thing to feel in that moment for her. And then she came around and apologized to her mother. We hugged, and it was all fine. Calm down, calm down. There's a good ending to the story. 
So sometimes that type of shame is, is good for people to feel. Why? Because it draws them to the right action. It, it, it draws them. This shame here is actually drawing them towards God. They feel shame. They run. They run to him in, in verse 16. Verse 17, kind of what I think uh, Peter's been, been driving at and trying to communicate us communicate to us this entire time to this church that's being persecuted for doing good. Here's what he says. For it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will. If that should be God's will. Than for doing evil. A couple of questions about this verse. First, the obvious question. Does God will the suffering of his children? Look at the plain reading of the verse, just the plain reading of it. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. What's the answer, church family? The answer is yes. So if, next question, if God wills the suffering of his children... Why? Why? Well, in this direct context, so that those who are slandering us or reviling us may be put to shame. Why? So that that shame would draw them to him for his glory and for our good. That's the immediate context that's here. Why does God allow or will the suffering? Um, So that other people see where our hope is, so that even in our suffering, we live fearlessly. And people say, why are you doing that? Why do you act this way? How can you do this in this moment of suffering? How can you be fearless? How can you still love God even now? And we get a chance to defend our faith, to show them, to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is within us. And it draws them to him for God's, for God's glory. So you gave your reason. You tell them why you, why you hope. They slander you. They say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You suffer and feel the pain of that insult, but you still treat them with gentleness and respect. That person is shocked that you did not insult them back. They feel shame. Then they ask themselves, maybe there's something to this. And that is why the Lord allows us to suffer because it draws other people to him. That's why. I'll close with this. Um, This this occurred to me. It's, It's Peter. It's Peter who's writing this. It's Peter who is calling us to be ready to give a defense. And and I thought back about there he stood as the teenage girl says to him, weren't you with that Galilean carpenter? Tell me, give me a reason why you're hoping in him is another way that we could interpret what that girl was asking him. And in that moment, what does Peter do? He's not ready. He's not ready to give that defense. And so I imagine this this personally cost Peter something to, to write this down as he knew himself, he was not ready to to give a defense. He wasn't prepared in that moment. Maybe he even felt a little bit of that, what we were just talking about, shame. But then I imagine in what Peter's mind is that he immediately jumps to that that amazing scene on the seashore. After, After Peter has jumped out of the boat and swam to shore to meet and see the risen Christ, and, and he is reinstated by Christ himself as Christ says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he's reinstated to, to, to go then and be ready and prepared to give that defense. So again, I, I close with this final and last question. Why do you hope in Jesus? Are you prepared to make a defense? Right now, in this very moment, if, if I grabbed a microphone and came out there and said, go, make a defense, why do you hope in Christ? What would you say? Now, for some of you, you're ready to jump up, right? Like, bring it on. Bring it on, Pastor Kay. I got you, boy. Bring that microphone up here. I'm ready to give my defense. That's some of you in the room. Others of you, maybe not. 
Uh, others of you, maybe you're, you're struggling with this question this morning. Why, why am I a Christian? Why am I hoping in Christ? Let me encourage you. Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer this morning and say, Oh, Lord, God, deepen my understanding of you and who you are. Oh, God, help me to know why I should hope in you. God, send your spirit in a powerful way right now to to move my heart to know how to give a defense of my hope. That has been my prayer for you all week, that you would be able to know why you're a Christian, that, that proudly, unashamedly, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you would be able to say, this right here, you see this, you hear this, this is why I hope in Christ. I want your heart to sing that this morning. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, that our hearts would sing, our hearts would sing of the hope that is in you. Oh, God, make us all prepared, ready at at a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat, in in the blink of an eye. Make us ready to make this defense. Oh, Lord, because there are many, many millions of reasons why we should hope in you. Millions of reasons. Oh, Lord, deepen our love for you so that these reasons, these, these defenses that we have would, would flow out of us. Lord, settle our hearts and our minds to where we, we're not feeling like we have to know all the answers. Settle our hearts and minds to, to know that we just need to tell people why we're a Christian. It's that simple. We just give them the reason. Oh, Lord, I pray that every believer here this morning would leave out those doors knowing exactly, a pinpoint exact reason why they hope in you. Give us that assurance this morning. We can only do it through your power. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.